Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm all right. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's like the dog days of winter right now. I don't like it. Honestly, like, we're at the point in the season where I know what's... (laughs) It's frustrating because you kind of see what's going to happen and then there's like, but you're not there yet for me. Yeah. It's a weird end of November, like December, and then you have full games. It's like a weird time for sure. November has some of the best games of the season in it as a rule. You you get rivalry Mm -hmm. games, you get teams competing for their conference uh, race and all that stuff. Yeah. This week where for some reason, the week before the last regular season week is always just a doubt of a slate of games yeah and like i saw some this like on twitter but i saw some big 10 type of people being like oh look at how weak the sec schedule this week i'm like and your game of the week is illinois michigan that's (laughs) like let's put it in perspective here (laughs) yeah like you you couldn't understand (laughs) which is going to be such a good game like illinois having quite i hate that they're on a two-game losing streak not to like (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's <laughs> two look ahead games to Michigan. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We're coming off a really good week, though, in the AAC, with one exception. The referees stunk this past weekend and they stink a lot. <laughs> they stunk extra hard this weekend in multiple games. Uh, mm-hmm. You were at the UCF Tulane game. They were a pretty abysmal in that game. And I'm yeah. not one to say that, oh, they were rigging against UCF. They were like, bringing it for someone pretty much across across the board they i thought they had a couple incredibly soft calls against ucf pass interference wise they picked up a ineligible man downfield flag that helped ucf seal the game which um, i i know you're there so you didn't watch the tv broadcast they highlighted how he was standing right next to the ref and was clearly five yards downfield <laughs> why'd they pick it up Terrible. Yeah. I thought the refs in the ECU since the game were terrible. I thought the refs across the board were terrible. And I'm saying that because I think it was embarrassing, to be honest with you, that you had marquee games where referees just didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. But the games themselves, I thought, were really good. I Here's, here's how I feel about that. I think... There was some good football played, obviously. And we had some, we're going to get into the bulk of it. We had some like surprising things happen and we had some not so surprising things happen, but we're getting to the point now where the teams need to, I mean, I'm, I was at the UCF Tulane game, which it started out like, I don't know, weird and then got weirder. And then it was just, this is, that's like kind of how I feel about how these games are is like, nothing's really going the way it's supposed to. Um, 
it goes like sideways a lot before it balances out. So that's like how I feel about a lot of the games this week. You know, it leaves me feeling uneven if that's, if I could just say that. But I can see that with the way some okay. um, that makes I think the everybody. most uneven game was the Notre Dame Navy one. If you got, you know, yeah, I mean, I didn't get to see it because I was at Tulane as it was playing, but I yards of offense in the second half. One, what? Two. Notre Dame had like 12 yards of offense in the second half. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. It was like a shock. I watched that whole game. It was so weird to watch. And that's, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, I yeah. think that's the perfect example of what you're talking about for these just like weirdly uneven games. Yes. Well, I'm um, going to kick it off with Thursday's game. No. Yes, we can do it. Uh, <laughs> You were going to say no, like you have a I, choice. I, we, we really don't have a choice. It's Tulsa no. 10, Memphis 26. Uh, looked like, I mean, Davis Burn tried to go. He looked awful in this game. Yeah, uh, poor I think kid. He's probably still just injured and was trying to play through it because he didn't look, he didn't look like he should be out there. And then they put, switched to Braxton and he never got into a rhythm. Uh, right. Tulsa had 31 rushing yards on the day. That's not going to do it. When you're having quarterback issues, mm-hmm. uh, you need to help those guys out a little bit and get something on the ground. Tulsa couldn't. I thought the defense played pretty well against Memphis. You know, not like Memphis had an explosive offensive day by any means. Honestly, like the fact that they that they gave uh, senior Tulsa linebacker Justin Wright Defensive Player of the Week, okay, for the AC is interesting to me because. While he did have a game high 13 tackles, they talk about how Tulsa limited Memphis to just two early touchdowns in the loss. So I, I how do I don't know how I feel about that. Like, yes, obviously he had a great game and he had a sack, two and a half tackles for loss, forced fumble, a lot of like little PC like things that shouldn't be happening that Memphis mm-hmm. seems to be doing. But I don't know, you still lost 2610. So how how is that a like defensive honors. I mean, individual <laughs> honors, the thing, you know what I mean? I guess, yes. I, and I don't Justin know. Justin Wright made life difficult for Seth Hennigan and co. I will say that, but yeah. not difficult enough that they didn't win. So, yeah, well, I mean, I think to an extent, when you only score 10 points, you're blaming the offense for that. You know? Yeah. You know, team game, but an individual honor, as I think probably okay. where that's coming from. Um, All right. Let's take know, it. With the loss, Tulsa's officially going to miss a bowl game this season. They fall to three and seven. Uh, Memphis needed to win their five and five now with an FCS game coming up. So they should, should be bowl eligible to end the year, though. Bowl eligible with six or seven wins really still doesn't meet the standard that Memphis has set for itself. So, yeah. But still, you're in a good position to go bowling as long as you don't stub your toe to, against North Alabama next week. So, <laughs> I doubt that very much, but. Yeah, if you lose North Alabama next week, then Silverfield's gone on Sunday, right? <laughs> He's gone Sunday morning. Yeah, probably the way things the way things go right now. Yes, that's that would be true. I, I think there's already some anxiety there in Memphis about him, and I don't think that an FCS loss would help that. No, um, it would not. You want to move on to our Friday game? Yeah, let's talk about this because this was interesting, in my opinion. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, ECU 25, Cincinnati 27. Uh, mm-hmm. 
I thought special teams killed EC in this game. They missed a field goal. They let a kick return for six. Uh, since he clearly had the better athletes in space where ECU struggled to make tackles, really had two big, huge touchdown passes that were short routes that receivers broke open on ECU secondary when they failed to take proper angles and make tackles. Right. And those were the only things that Cincinnati was better at. It was just a couple big plays. Other than that, I thought ECU kind of dominated the game and just got short end on explosives. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. But Brent, Ben Bryant stunk in this game. Like you'll look and see tons of yards and two touchdowns. It's because two receivers broke open like 60 yards touchdown on their own on like screens and slants. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't it, him. And riddle me this though, when and I know I get I keep getting stuck on these honors, but I, you know, it's part of my contribution is to make sure we all are aware of the AAC honors of the week. How do you give senior kicker at Memphis, Chris Howard, special teams player of the week? But you're not going to give it to Cincinnati's kicker, Ryan Coe, who's had an incredible season and yeah. makes the game winning field goal. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Chris Howard had, you know, a lot of Memphis's points, which I understand. I think it was 14. I, I guess that's my question. Their methodology of just saying that, are they literally just going to which kicker has? Like, because he went four for four and he it, hit from 49, 31, 44, I, 32. That's my question. Is it just which kicker had the most points that week? Or is it just like, or how much? I would say, like, I guess that's a question is like, do you think quantity versus quality? Like, yes, it is impressive to make all of your field goals in a game. No doubt about it. And he is like 18 of 20 on the season. Okay. He scored the majority of the points in the game, but like, is that, I guess that's the question. Is that more impressive or is the game winning, you know, high pressure field goal that on the line, is that more impressive? Yeah. Well, what's more impressive of say a guy who kicked five field goals to bring his team to 15 points in their 31 to 15 loss or the guy who Mm -hmm. had a couple extra points, maybe even missed one, but also like a 65 yarder. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the more impressive week? You know, I guess it's a matter of opinion. I don't I'm really. I'm curious what what was the yard? Let's see what the yardage was on. Coes were all chip shots. I don't. I the, thought. Oh yeah, it was a 21 yard field goal. So yeah, that's not. Yeah. It's not impressive in that regard, but still, I mean, in in a situation like that, you're yeah, looking at like people coming at you full force trying to block it because that's literally all that's going. Like Blair, I'm, Walsh. Blair Walsh missed that kick in the playoffs for the. <laughs> I've seen plenty of people. Miss kicks from there. I, I mean, not to take away from Chris Howard. Congratulations. We're obviously very happy for you and and yeah, your, you know, yeah, you get a you get a shout out. But I just think at least Co should be on the honor roll, but he's not even on there. So that kind of grinds yeah. my gears a little bit. But and I think that's a good what well, you pointed that's a good way to jump off and say that really has been a great improvement for Cincinnati this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went out and got this guy's a yeah. transfer. They went out and got him and he's good. been doing great. He's been doing very well for them. And that, like I said, I think special teams was the main difference in this game because ECU mm-hmm. special teams, like it has on several occasions this season, abandoned it, where Cincinnati's didn't, and it was more consistent. Because uh, yeah. we both know Elders outplayed Bryant. Uh, I think we both know if Mitchell doesn't leave the game with an injury, then ECU's offense stays in a much better rhythm and scores more than it ultimately did in the second half. Yeah. Uh, that was the targeting call where Mitchell was uh, running like a wheel route and got lit up. You see Mike Houston's comments after the game about that? No, I did not. He straight up called it a dirty hit and implied that they were trying to 
take him out of the game. He, I actually, I would side with him on that because Cincinnati, in my experience, does play kind of like that. Yeah, he, he basically said that there's targeting and then there's actively trying to be dirty. And he, he used the phrase taking someone out of the game, which implies. But yeah, that people, people, I mean, that's yes, we have we have heard about it. I mean, I don't know how much it's practiced, but well, when Dante, if you're going to try to take a guy out, Keith Mitchell's a pretty big target. <laughs> And when Dante Gate happened you know. in the NFL, is one of those things where, like, the Saints were like, "Yeah, we got caught, but everyone does." Yeah, it. It yeah. Goes, it goes down levels too. It isn't just the NFL. So, yeah, Sean Payton was paying his guys to do it, so it's like I should say I'm not accusing the Bearcats of doing it, but I think the point is more that Houston heavily implied it, and it's not unheard of in football to be okay injuring someone who's giving you a hard time on the other team. Yeah, and I do isn't. think if Mitchell stays in the game, he see who wins. I, also I know because and he he's. I also think it, if they tackle receivers in space, you see once because Cincinnati couldn't move the ball downfield on them because Bryant was inconsistent passing the ball and Cincinnati has an anemic running game right now. Well, it's funny that you say that because both receivers from Cincinnati earned honor roll mentions for this week. Tyler Scott, the junior wide receiver, had seven catches for 140 yards and one touchdown, and then Jaden Thompson, the junior wide also a junior wide receiver. For for Cincy, 157 all-purpose yards, including obviously the 100-yard kickoff return for the touchdown. So that one, I guess I get. But we're going to give two Cincinnati wide receivers honors, but we're not going to honor the guy who won the game. It seems like a little strange to me. So, I mean, but you know, Cincinnati hanging in there in the uh, in the yeah. hunt for AAC championship. Yeah, sure, sure they are. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, they're trying, trying to stick around. Prepare for the hate mail from people who think it's okay to put chili on spaghetti. Why? You've never heard of Skyline Chili? No. Okay, in Cincinnati, they put chili on spaghetti. And they're going to give us hate mail because we just implied that they're not as good as the record. I, first of all, I would like to say that that sounds amazing and I would eat that. So Uh, I don't. It's horrifying. I mean, I like both of those things. I don't know why I would not like them together. And B, I'm not saying Cincinnati is not as good as their. There's, a, I would say that of a lot of teams. If I'm going to go ahead and say that, I'm going to say that about very many teams too. This year, but the point is that Cincinnati, they're trailing, you know, obviously, but they're still trying to fight. So I don't know that this game helped them, but they won it. So that part helps. Did they look great doing it? No, but ECU is better than people realize, but they also did not play as well as they should have. And to realizing how good ECU is the past couple of years. This just didn't help. They they needed to play better in this game. They need, yeah. I mean, again, I think their defense needed to just prevent those explosives. Um, But no, I think when they beat UCF the way they did and staying with Cincinnati, who people still have people who don't pay close attention to the conference still think of Cincinnati very much in the same, uh, I guess, frame of reference as they do last season. You know, they don't really think yeah. how many guys left, what the team looks like now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, go, beating up UCF and then going on the road and you're beating Cincinnati gets people's attention to be like, oh, that's not that's not 2016 ECU that lost every game by 50, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's 100% true, I guess. I just, it's funny, like, pay attention, you know? They're good. They're going to a bowl. I 
don't know. You know what's interesting about Cincinnati? Linebacker Ivan Pace Jr., who we don't we don't talk too much about, even though I mean linebackers good. need love too. Um, he's the national leader in tackles for a loss at 1.9 per game, and he has 19 tackles for a loss um on the season. So kind of a if I'm not mistaken, he's a Miami of Ohio transfer too, which is it. really if I'm not mistaken. I was not. And then also while we're talking about special teams, Cincinnati Hunter, obviously there was punting going on, right? So Mason Fletcher ranks second nationally in punting average, 47.43, while Memphis punter Joe Doyle is third. That's nationally. So you have two AAC punters ranking nationally in in that category. I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Uh, on to our Saturday slate of games. That is Notre Dame 35, Navy 32. This was a weird game. Uh, yes. Notre Dame and Navy kind of started – Notre Dame started off scoring a couple times, but Navy kept it a little close. And then at the end of the first half, Notre Dame poured it on really quickly to make it 35-13 at the half. And you kind right. of said, all right. You're like, oh, over. poor Navy. Ta- like, yeah, like, yeah ta- talent one out there. That's mm-hmm. all the momentum. Notre Dame has it. Second half will probably go quick because Notre Dame's going to try to run down their throats and all Navy does is run the ball. Mm-hmm. Navy starts out the second half with a 10-minute field goal drive. And you're like, all right, that's not how you come back in the game. Navy. <laughs> you need to score like four or five times in this game. We and you love just it, though. And then it's on three points. And, we love it. And then their defense absolutely shut Notre Dame down and made Notre Dame look – like they'd never played offense before. And uh, basically what they did was they were bringing exotic blitzes and loading the box so that Notre Dame's offensive line and back quarterback, who I guess we should stop calling the backup because he's been the starter. Yep, he's the, he's the quarterback. <laughs> Notre Dame's quarterback, Drew Pine, had no idea where the pressure was coming from when he passed, but the boxes were mm-hmm. so heavy that they, Notre Dame didn't want to run into them, so they weren't running, and they needed him to be able to throw against the blitz so that Navy would back off. And he mm-hmm. just couldn't do it. Because, and then, so Notre Dame couldn't run the ball because they couldn't get a box that had less than like nine guys in it. And it ended up being, I think Notre Dame had like 12 yards in the entirety of the second half. It was. Yeah. And then they were out scored 19 to zero, I think. And yeah. out gained 160 or 30 something to 12. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, Navy ran out of time when they were trying to come back. Yeah. Much stinks for them, but really, really good. Never give up performance from them. I liked how aggressive Kenny Amatololo was in some of his decision-making throughout the game. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a surprise onside that didn't work out, but I still like that decision when you're Navy this year playing Notre Dame is what are you going to lose? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so things like that. I thought this was uh, – if Navy had made a couple fewer mistakes in the first half – they would have won this game, and that would have been pretty funny. And I forget who said it. That would have been crazy. Yeah. I forget who said it, but someone said something along the lines of, isn't it funny to watch four stars have no idea where they're supposed to be on the field? And that's what Navy does to you. They do, and we talked about that, the triple option, even though you're preparing for it, but you don't play it all the time, you know, or, you know, it's not a staple in your – everyday routine it, it does even though you know you're you're going to face it and you have to prepare for it it's not easy to do and that's the advantage that navy does have like that the only one because they don't obviously get to use the portal they don't get to nil they don't get to do so many things but they can 
just kind of stun people with that and just wear them down. If the game were twice as long, it'd be very interesting. Navy would win yeah. more games. <laughs> they would. Uh, Fofana had a massive, massive day for Navy too. the fullback. Uh, Notre Dame mm-hmm. really didn't have an answer for that dive, uh, which is surprising to me, given the fact that you'd think Notre Dame strength would be up the middle. A couple of guys were missing uh, from the Notre Dame defense with injuries, besides the point. Uh, and then Xavier Arline, the backup quarterback for Navy, left the game with an injury as well. And I was mm-hmm. not able to find the status update. But uh, yeah. Not great if you're Isn't talking it about crazy that Navy like comes close to beating Notre Dame and we don't get a single guy from Navy on the on the honor on the weekly honors. You think it's crazy you, to me. You would think someone would have made it, but it is what it is. Yep. Um it's upsetting. Move, That's fine. Yeah. Moving on, SMU 41, USF 23. Uh, <laughs> 17-17 tie game at halftime. SMU was caught sleepwalking with an early kick. Uh they woke up in the second half, took care of business against the mm-hmm. team that was ultimately outmatched and has the interim coaching staff. Uh, Marsh for USF, the backup quarterback, really, really, really scary injury situation with him. Where he had- yeah, you were you texted me about that. Yeah, he was, he was taken off the field on a stretcher. Uh, he had neck surgery, I believe, earlier today. Oh, my God. He's supposed to make a full recovery, but that's not good, obviously. Not no. Also, I was talking about AAC refs earlier. On this thing that led to him being taken off in a stretcher and had neck surgery, no targeting call. Yes. USF fans were not happy that there was not the target. Yeah, call. sure. If we're trying to, if we're trying, especially because you're seeing some light coming out of this offense from USF, and granted, it's against SMU's defense, so like no big <laughs> struggle <laughs> there, but still. Well, like my thing is. If we're trying to protect the head and neck area of players with the targeting mm-hmm. rule, then that's what's for. And I see it get called so sillily, I guess, on times mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. A, you know a safety trying to make a play on a receiver who's catching the ball and they aim for the midsection, but the receiver ducks. And you're like, that's not the spirit of the rule. But like, <laughs> and I'm sure that they looked in and they said, well, it doesn't fit all the criteria, but man, when the guy's being taken off, you just kick the guy out. You just have to, I think. Yeah. And that's, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I don't have much to say about the game itself other than SMU slept walk through the first half. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. USF is. It was bound, it was bound to happen. I think it was like a perfect storm of situation for that. Yeah. You got to shout out South Florida running back Brian Batty turned in his third consecutive 100-yard game, 145 yards, his fifth of the season. He gets no love, so Batty's there you really go. Batty's a good running back on a really bad team. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's a great he's a great all all-purpose yardage guy. You're just you just do not get to see him unfortunately. Um the other person I got to shout out is Kamar Wheaton red shirt freshman running back for SMU rushed for 112 yards, two touchdowns on 14 carries in the win. And there was a really interesting stat that we got from um, the AAC. They, they sent out these awesome stats after the weekend, just to like see where everything's at. And then interesting notes. There's one about receivers and, um, it was talking about, here we go. The AAC has three of six FBS players with at least a thousand receiving yards this season. Obviously SMU wide receiver, Rashi Rice 
leads the nation, like leads the nation with 1,167 yards. But we forgot to mention Tulsa's wide receiver, Keelan Stokes, who had a great game and is fourth with 1,032 yards. And then we'll talk about this later, but you've got Houston wide receiver, you know, Nathaniel Dell hanging in there fifth with 1,017 yards. He also did have, has been having good play. So, yep, absolutely. Uh, Why don't we transition over to that Houston game now with Temple 36, Houston 43. Uh, this was a really fun game to watch if you didn't care about the outcome. Uh, good <laughs> game. Uh, I want to start with, I mean, the end of the game was obviously, I'm going to just recap the end of the game real quick if anyone missed it. Uh, Temple had a two-minute drill drive to take the lead late in that game that Warner led. And uh, Houston had a fantastic response. And, you know, obviously score a touchdown was able to beat Temple on what was one of the catches of the season, I'd say. Uh, mm-hmm. A fantastic diving touchdown catch. Um, and I guess, I mean, short, long story short, it's good for Houston. You managed to win a game that you were never supposed to be this close. In the first <laughs> I place. told you. I knew I, it was going to be like that. I knew it. In my soul, I knew it. I felt it. <laughs> well, I, I want to start with Temple because – I think it's really mm-hmm. where they are now versus where they were week one. Yeah. You know, it's a team that's clearly much more confident. It's a team that clearly knows what's doing a lot more and has been improving as the season's gone on. Uh, EJ Warner in particular, so much more confident in where he's going with the ball. He's much more decisive. You know, Temple in this game versus Temple against UCF is night and day. It just is. Right. You know? the team that got lit up for 70 plus points and had no idea what was going on. Yeah. It's not the same anymore. They're still outmatched talent wise. They still don't have the roster depth, but they're fighting and they are much more confident. And I think those are really, that's everything. If you're a temple fan, you could have possibly wanted out of the season. I think. Yeah, I think so. AJ Warner. Expect more. It would have been greedy to be like, we'll go to a bowl this year. <laughs> It would have been a great storyline to see that, but obviously, you know, Rome isn't built in a day, but EJ Warner, you mentioned the freshman quarterback. He set school records with 42 completions, 59 attempts and 486 passing yards with three touchdowns in this game against Houston. Where's Houston's defense gone? What is what's going on? You can't sack a freshman quarterback. They are sack Avenue. You love to go after sack Avenue. I'm more. Oh, I just like, what is this? It's an just, undisciplined team. It's an undisciplined just team. Just shredded. That's going on a lot of penalties this year and is constantly out of position. It's all the hallmarks, frankly, of a poorly coached team. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that, is, that is a way of putting position. it, yeah. They're out of position. They're letting teams with notably less talent than them take them to the wire. They get a lot of penalties. Like These are not things that – good teams do that well coached teams do. Mm-hmm. It just shouldn't ever happen and at home in front of like five five fans maybe mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was that was pretty wild that i liked your comment like the fans came dressed as the sands because that's yeah. really what you could see so that was a good yeah. one uh houston wide receiver nathaniel dell we just talked about him he surpassed a thousand receiving yards for the season i mentioned that just now 1017 but he becomes only the third houston player with at least two 1000 yard seasons so that's 
Very impressive. Great hands over there. And then we've got an AAC honor roll mention for the redshirt freshman running back, Stacy Sneed. Great name for Houston. Rushed for 143 yards and two touchdowns on 11 carries. Temple not really bringing it with the rushing defense. No, not really. So, I mean, or I guess really the passing defense, but, you know, they'll get there. That's right, because the defense has been the stronger unit all year for Temple. I know. <laughs> but just yeah. EJ Warner was like, nope, not today. Today is about the offense, which I like. Weird, weird little note. Houston is 12 and 12 and 2 in its last 14 AAC conference games, matching its best stretch in conference history. Would not know it or feel like that at all. No, Does not feel like so that, good. but that's what it is. That's where we're at with Houston. So well, we've got one more game to go over. It was the game of the week coming into the week. You see a eight two lane 31 in the big easy. Emily, you were there. Tell me what you saw. Oh my God. It was incredible. Um, I will say this when we flew in, the weather became a concern because prior to that, it was supposed to be clear, sunny, warm, all that stuff, which, you know, at Yulman, it's a nice thing to have clear weather there. And especially in new Orleans, when you're starting to get the cloud cover and the rain. So we did have rain up until they started warming up and then it kind of cleared up, but it was very cold, which I thought was going to be interesting for the Florida players. Like it was bitingly cold, freezing cold. So, and there was a wind. Yeah, no, it's, it was cold across the whole like country on Saturday. Like there was yeah. very, and do you see the Arkansas LSU game? They had chicken broth on the sideline. Oh, I saw a picture of the chicken broth and the hot chocolate. Yeah, I did see that. That's very funny. Um, no, but it was good. I will say this. UCF fans showed out like no other. I mean, they were about half, if not more, of the stadium, which mm. I guess no surprise. Although, you know, we thought maybe the weather might keep some people away because of the storm. And in, in, just the travel uh, was thought to be. Just, yeah, just the, the hassle of what was going on. So, but no, they showed out. Um, the start was interesting, obviously, but Tulane, I just, they have so many great players and I do think Willie Fritz is a great, like diet, like, um, play calling coach. I think he's very like tactical. I think the moves he makes are good, but they cannot put it together in a way that makes any sense. And when you watch the drives, I don't know. And it's crap for me. It is. I, and I had this cover. What a good game. Look at the numbers. It was a good I, game. The numbers. But when you're watching him out there, when you're watching him on the field, it, it's not that he's not a good quarterback. He is. And I had this conversation with a former two-lane quarterback. I was sitting there talking to him about it. And we came up with the the theory that it has to do with the change in offensive coordinator. And I actually talked to this kid who I'm going to interview later. He was with about three, three of them coordinators. So, and he talked about as a quarterback, what that does to your progression process, what that does to, you know, your play calling. Now they've switched to these armband deals and he thinks that it's messed with him a little bit because you'll see Pratt go through and get stuck on a read. He wants to hit certain guys. He doesn't see the field the way it's supposed to be seen, which is why he takes so many hits and he makes hits look way harder than they are. It's crazy. And, I, and that's not like a knock. It's just, I don't know why. Yeah, no. I, I mean, some guys. He had that. guys wide open in end zones that he should have hit and didn't. And then you look at some of the, like the pass at the end of the game, he throws it to the guy to his knee. The guys to fall to his knees to catch it. So 
I have some issues with that, obviously. And then, you know, Nick Anderson's out there on, on Tulane's defense is doing like everything. He's incredible. Yeah. But that being said, UCF was obviously the better team. They were bigger. I can confirm standing on the sideline next to both these teams. UCF is monster players, just huge. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I think I, if I remember what I said correctly, was one of those things where I was like, ultimately, when you get on the field, one team's going to be bigger, faster, and stronger. That was, that, that was UCF. I think that was a huge part of the game, especially the early part. I will uh, say watching John Rice Bumley throw in person is pretty funny. It's not the it's prettiest t- It's tough. It's, not, it's pretty it's tough to watch. Ball. I mean, but did you watch him run? Yeah, I did. I asked, you know, my favorite part of the the game was getting to talk to Gus Malzahn after and talk about the running. And obviously they the use of a fullback, which they do have. And it's they like, did use. You said Alec Hall. He's listed as a tight end, which I'm interested I, that they, they refer to him as a fullback. Well, it's funny. I didn't, I did not pull that name specifically. I just, I asked yeah. Gus Malzahn. He's told me in prior conversations that running wins championships. And I wanted to remind him that he'd said that. And it was very indicative of this game, particularly. So I said, you know, do, coach, do you think that that, of all the teams you've coached, Auburn and, you know, other places he's been, do you think that that rings true here, especially this year and in the, and in this specific game? And he was like, hell yeah, like that, that rings true. And he brought up um, the fullback and called him that and said, you know, so a lot of guys are listed at tight end and they're, but they're used as fullbacks. And so I connected with him, the player after the game, and we talked a little bit about it. And um, no, Gus Malone said that's, he likes having fullbacks in his scheme. So. That was great to hear. Yeah. Uh, this was really the run the damn ball game. If it, was. There was ever, it was incredible. I, mean, I actually thought that, I mean, obviously John Rice Pumley was great with the designed quarterback runs. It was good mm-hmm. to see him healthy. I know some UCF fans want Mikey Keene to be the starter because he is a bit of, he's a better thrower. Mikey Keene is not a light the world on fire from the pocket guy, though. He's better, right. more consistent thrower than Pumley, but he's not. He's not Dante Culpepper for UCF fans, if that's who you think you're getting with Mikey Keene. <laughs> He's not even playing portals at this point uh, right. for another UCF guy. Uh, and he's just not dynamic with his legs the way Plumlee is. And that's why you stick with Plumlee, because he's not incompetent throwing the ball. It's a little bit awkward. Yeah, he could be better at it. No, There's I 100%. I think you're being... A couple years there. You need, you're I, being too nice. Like there were some throws where it was like, what, like, have you thrown a football before? I know. I know. Okay. I know. I'm saying, and I, I'm not saying he's, he's a very talented athletic guy and watching him run was, like, a, I guess that's what I'm saying. But, but we know what he is. And Gus Malzahn in the post game acknowledged, this is what he is. He's a running quarterback. We are going to use, he was like, we knew we had to have him run to beat yeah. Tulane. And then he actually, Gus Malzahn even talked about having both quarterbacks in a two-quarterback system because, you know, you have Mikey Keene being able to throw and then you have Plumlee being able to run. So that was kind of interesting that that came up and that he actually entertained the idea of having that two-quarterback system. So I don't think that he'll do that, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, he brought in Plumlee because – Well, that's what he said, so I don't know. I don't believe Why would he say it? To say something, I don't know, Phil Air. I don't think, no. If you know Gus Malzahn, he does not fill air. He's a very short and to the point, and, like, he speaks with purpose. It's one of the things I love about him. I think he's I, he's awesome. I know, I know. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, but you're thought- talking about Plumley. Let me just say really quickly, Plumley was given Offensive Player of the Week, obviously, in the AAC. Um, so, you know, good for him. He figured in 308 yards of total offense, three touchdowns. 
game high 176 yards and two touchdowns completed 17 of 30 passes. Not great. And another score. He's fifth in the American in rushing. Okay. Fifth as in the American in rushing as a quarterback, 66.5. Yeah, he hasn't even played in all the games. He averages 66.5 yards per game, and he set UCF single-game rushing record for a quarterback. So, yeah, pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, I think the biggest problem Tulane has was that they got behind mm-hmm. early and then couldn't yeah. just hand the ball to Spears. Because Spears gave UCF problems when he did get the ball in his hands. But then you're playing from behind by a couple of scores, and you feel the need to throw to catch up you know, and play a bit quicker. I thought they need to get Spears more catches in this game, too. Well, I'll Especially. tell you what the real problem was, is that the receivers, even when Pratt did throw good passes, oh, which he did, so many drops, so many they drops. dropped the ball every single time, just right in their chest, dropped it. To, to the point that one receiver, who I will not name, left the game because he was so I frustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That he left before the half, before halftime, uh, from what I was told, faked an injury, did not come back, but found out later that it was because he was just having a bad game, was frustrated and left. It's wild. Yeah. yeah it but it, it, that was the problem. That was the problem for Tulane. Because if you get some of those catches in, that's a different, that's a different ballgame. So. It is. Uh, it was great to watch, though. They almost mounted the comeback they did. Of, the, of, the, of the weekend, so... They did. UCF had that drive late in the game where they just ran the ball down uh, Tulane's throats with Bowser. Yeah, Bowser's insane. He's like an insane human being. Oh, yeah. He's like a fullback with running back speed for you. Like if we're talking about build. Yeah, but he's not. I was was expecting him to look bigger. So I I was kind of a little like, for example, I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to send that. He's not big, big. But so there's a point when... um, he scores that last touchdown. I'll send you these pictures, but basically um, the tight end we were talking about, um, uh, what's his name again? Alec Holler. Yeah. So he blocked for him on that play. And then, so they go to like celebrate, right? They're like, Oh, let's bump bounce and bump chess. And literally, you know, Bowser goes up to bump him and Holler knocks him to the ground, well, like to the ground. Again, Holler's like a tight end back in terms of size. But I'm just saying, like, Bowser was not as big. I was a little surprised because he does look bigger and he plays bigger. But in person, I was kind of like expecting more of like a bowling ball. And he's very smelt. So he's listening at like 5'10". And yeah, he's you're right. He's not real he's thick. Not, he's not a thick king. Not, you're right. He's not thick, but he's very strong and he's sturdy. He's, he's strong. He's strong. And I don't know where it's coming from or if it's center of gravity or whatever it is. And it's good. Good core. But he does not look like, but you know what's going to be crazy when he goes to the NFL? It's like Christian McCaffrey. When you saw Christian at Stanford, not a big guy, kind of average looking like when you're talking about bulk and mass and whatever. But then you look at him now, just a beast of a human being. I think that's what we could see with Isaiah Bowser heading into yeah. the league. So, Anyways, good game. Now we're in a three-way freaking tie. What do we do now? UCF controls its own destiny. They do. They, they did get in the driver's seat because of this, but there's still two weeks of games left, so 
We'll see. UCF has the tiebreaker because they've been both Cincinnati and Tulane. Yep. Assuming that UCF doesn't stub its toe against Navy or USF, which I am prepared Those to. Those are like trap moment. games, like the trap the, end of a season. The Navy game's a little bit scary. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yes. Um, as long as UCF doesn't stub their toe, though, they should be hosting the American Athletic Conference Championship. ECU losing really helps. ECU losing really helps UCF because that gives ECU three losses, and I don't think anyone thinks UCF is going to lose the both of the next two games. I know that Tulane has to beat SMU this week, and we'll obviously get to that. But there was a lot of talk about Cincinnati, right? About the Cincinnati game. Tulane, yeah, Tulane and Cincy play straight up in the final week of the season, Mm -hmm. and assuming that both Cincy and Tulane take care of business this week, which. Again, we'll talk about those games in just one second. That will decide probably who gets a rematch against UCF. That's most likely. It will. That is most likely what's going to happen. Let me give you some. Let me give you guys some AAC notes as our transition from week 11 to week 12. The AAC will enter week 12 this season with six bowl eligible teams. Hopefully this is one of yours. UCF, Cincinnati, Tulane, ECU, SMU, and Houston somehow. Memphis over here needing one win in its final two games to give the Americans seven bowl eligible teams among its 11 members. Yeah, they'll get will it they, else well. You think so? I mean, they're playing uh, North Alabama this week. That's, I know, that's true, and, and we hope that I happens. Um, I mean, right now I'd say 6-6 six and six is the record because I think they lose to SMU to finish the regular season, but yeah. More exciting news. The American has three AP top 25 teams entering week 12. Number 17, UCF leading the way. Number 21, Tulane. And Cincinnati sneaking back in at number 22 despite almost losing to Navy. And not scoring any second half points. So that's fun. Uh, The only other leagues with at least three ranked teams are the Pac-12 with six, which is literally the most insane thing I've ever heard. The SEC with five, the Big Ten with three, the Big 12 with three, and the ACC with three. So the American is holding its own as a as a group of five when you look at the rest of the country. Uh, the American also has three ranked teams for the 20th time since the confirmations conference conference conferences formation in 2013. The last time the American had at least three ranked teams was in 2019 when the conference had four, which was UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, and Navy. I was gonna and say that's, Navy. That's a trivia question because you should get three pretty easy if you know the conference, but they're right. But that, that outlier the there. That was the Malcolm Perry year at Navy. Since the start wow. of 2014 season, all 11 AAC teams have been ranked at least once in the AP poll, which I think is interesting as a conference Wait, because you definitely can't all say that. What? All American teams have been ranked. Says all 11 since the start of the 2014 season, all 11 AAC teams have, ranked, have been ranked at least once in the AP top 25 poll. When was ECU ranked? It must have been in 2014. Doesn't say, but it says the American. The, in 2014. The ACC and the Big 12 are the only FBS conferences that have had each member ranked since 2014. So I think that's pretty uh, pretty interesting note there. Um, the American will finish the regular season with a combined 9-3 and three record against non-autonomous FBS conference opponents in 2022. We talked about the bowl eligible teams and we talked about, you know, what the conference is going to look like. So, or the championship is going to look like, which I think is, we wouldn't have known this right. The beginning of the season. What do we, 
was not looking like this. So it's very interesting that this is where we are. And it'll be interesting to see what the if the conference can hold on to that kind of dominance over the other, you know, G five teams. When going things forward change, once, once yeah. we get realignment, because uh, well, Charlotte finally has their new head coach. Uh, they do. You know, the UAB still doesn't. I think FAU might be moving on from Willie Taggart. If I had to take a guess at that success level there, uh, North Texas, there's rumors about the future there for Seth Luttrell. You know, we'll see what what those conference USA schools bring. And I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, and it was. I've actually been I've been doing a story or not story, but a weekly column where I track Conference USA teams for the new for the new realignment and how they've been doing this season. So if someone was so inclined to want to know how Sam Houston state is doing or New Mexico state is doing or Liberty or whoever you're curious about that can be found over at sportsgrid.com. So shout to UConn for being Liberty. I can't even with that because Liberty is good. Liberty is a good football team. Yes, I they are. I think they're a well-coached football team. I don't know if the talent-wise are necessarily all that. Yes, Day-Day Hunter is like one of the best, in my opinion, running backs they, in the they've country. Got a, they've got a couple of good players, but I... But them. UConn, what? UConn, like that... Well, Bill Moore's that got was... a haunted house, so like, it's fine. <laughs> Anyways, those are, those are the notes. Let's head into week 12, shall we? Yeah, we got a Thursday night game. We got a Friday night game. Then a slate of four Saturday games. All football all the time this week again. Love it. Yeah, a little chef's kiss to that. Yeah, so our Thursday night game, which I think could be the game of the week. Get it over quick. You don't want to have those things linger on you. Uh, Is SMU at Tulane. Uh, Mm. Tulane needs this win. If they want to get a shot to have a rematch with UCF for the conference championship game, most likely. I know nothing's set in stone yet. Uh, Because SMU for what's worth is also still capable of making that game, but they need help. They need to, yeah. and they need to, I forget the exact scenario, but they need to get the right losses in place. They need Cincinnati to lose to Temple this week, I believe, which, you know, probably, probably not likely at Temple, probably, but probably not. I can't, I can't ever say never in this league ever. So yeah, sure. But so an important matchup in that regard, uh, interesting on a short week, how does, how does Tulane bounce back from, I guess, a letdown of a game? Is the best well, you know what's back. crazy is I was talking to the guys, because obviously, you know, I have some friends that play for Tulane. So um, they were they were understandably upset Saturday night. Um, they went right back into practice Sunday with players meetings, all kinds of stuff, which normally I think they would have that off. And then they go straight. I was talking to them about the short week and they go straight into pads Monday. So it is a very quick turnaround. Yeah. And they get no break. So luckily there weren't too many injuries or anything from the game that they have to shake off. So I think they're going to be okay. And the consensus around Tulane, they hate SMU. Yeah. They haven't beaten like as just like, as like a team and a program and as like, just like human beings, they're not a fan. So. Yeah. Let me try. I saw it and didn't write it down for some reason about how long it's been since uh, Tulane beat SMU. And it's been a minute. Yeah, they, they um, were off of some conference USA too, uh, to here in the American too. So it's not like they have never played. Right. No, um, they just they for some reason and they yeah, just they really seven, don't like it's them. A seven game winning streak for SMU right now. Interesting. And uh yeah. And basically since two thousand nine, Julian's won once. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be mad Thursday. Also, I will not be going. So that's a plus for them because I'm clearly like a jinx. So yeah, 
You're welcome. You're welcome, Tulane. SMU's got more travel deals. They have to go from Tampa to Dallas, from Dallas to New Orleans. So that's, yeah. And they're on a short week, too. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Tulane's favored by three. So that's kind of that's our coin flip matchup. I hate that though. I hate that for them that just because they lose to UCF now, I think it's so much of that's reputation based. I mean, yeah. The thing is, for two for SMU to be Tulane, they're going to need to do what UCF did, and the problem is they can't do what UCF did. No, they can't run the ball that well. They have to throw right. Yeah. No, I. So. I think you're completely dead out that that the Tulane defense should have a much better game simply because mm-hmm. they match up better with SMU. Uh, let's face it, you're going to score more points on SMU than you are on UCF. You just are. Yeah. So, but they need to be cleaner about. I mean, they obviously there yeah. were some penalties, and like you said, it, there was, was refereeing issues up and down the game. But still, don't give them. I think they jumped off sides once. It was just things that like you need to not do. They didn't call that offsides on the fourth and one. They didn't. Throw no, a I, different, they different time. Different, I, I think. Because on fourth and one where uh, UCF lined up in a wildcat and Bowser threw the ball and you're like, mm-hmm. what's he doing throwing the ball downfield to Plumley? He threw that ball because he thought he had a free play because Tulane jumped off sides and they just didn't bother throwing that flag, but they threw the pass interference flag instead. Yeah. It was a very, very poorly officiated game. I'm telling you top to bottom. But, um, you know, the odds makers may have it right. It says during the Mustangs winning streak over Tulane, which you just found for us, four of those games have been decided by four points or fewer. So, yeah, I think it was Fritz's first season, might have been his second season there, where it was, uh, this was the week 12, you know, the final game of the year matchup. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tulane barely, barely lost and they kept them out of bowl eligibility that year for the first time in what would have been a long time. So I think there's a lot of animosity and a lot of resentment for how some of these games have gone, you know? Yeah. I, I'll say this. We went into the UCF game for Tulane talking about their red zone defense and how it was, you know, best, one of the best in the country, but UCF went five for six in the red zone. And so that was just, that's because UCF wanted to run the ball and could run the ball. They weren't, they did. UCF got down there and they weren't, they were not super interested in being like, we'll run to a tight or try to throw into like a very crowded end zone. They did a couple of times and passes got batted down and you're like, Man, I would have rather you just ran it one more time. But yeah, anytime UCF said we're just gonna run it, they were fine. So it's I mean, crazy that yeah. I think I'm picking Tulane. I don't know about you. I'm on the green wave as well. Okay, uh, and that's wild that that's gonna set up that like semifinal game at Cincinnati next week. That's just crazy. An awesome one. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's the thing with it though. Is I just you mentioned it earlier. I don't think SMU can run on Tulane because I don't think SMU can run that well this season. And I don't think I'm crazy for saying that. You know, no. We'll see I how agree. it works out in the end. A lot of weapons for SMU, but I think Tulane's underrated in how many weapons they have. Uh, yes. Let's look at our Friday night game, which. Okay. It's the Friday night. Game. <laughs> USF at Tulsa. We're going to see a third-string quarterback for USF attached to one of the worst defenses in the country. Uh, we'll see who plays quarterback for Tulsa. I don't think it matters. And I think I think Tulsa should win fairly with easily. I mean, do I have to do anything other than the one? I don't think so. 
Yeah, Tulsa's lost three straight games, so I don't. This is kind of a recipe for. Ah, uh, I'm frustrated because I want to. I want to think that USF could come in and cause some chaos and beat them, but then I'm like, Tulsa is the chaos team. Tulsa's favored by 14. I, I don't think that. they're going to win this game. I don't think that. That's crazy. Is it crazy? I don't know. Maybe not. Is it crazy? Because USF, USF is an egregiously bad defense this season, and they're down to their third-string quarterback. I don't think yeah. I just I guess I guess not. I guess. It is senior night for Tulsa. I don't even think that matters. I think it just comes down to <laughs> I mean, sometimes it matters. For a place like Tulsa, where it's a small – Except in three, it's a very tight knit like team and community. I think that that does matter, but I, mean, I obviously am I'm not I'm picking Tulsa. I don't think you're right. I USF is no chance. Oh, no, I'd love to see I'd love to see Deneric Prince have a game. That would sure. be nice. Yeah, similar to what he did against uh, Temple. I'd love to see him right. come out and I'd have like a game to see like that. Buddy. And I'm not hoping that USF gets blown out by a bad team, but I just yeah. For their it's players, just, it for, is what it is. I don't know. For the players, they're literally all they're trying to do is put on film for the next coaching staffer if they want to transfer at this point. What are you playing for otherwise? Yeah. So Can you imagine not, getting hurt in one of these last games and like, oof. Uh, I've been thinking about that for a guy like Zay Flowers, the Boston College wide receiver mm-hmm. who's about to be like a first or second round NFL draft pick. Imagine getting hurt playing in one of your last eight quarters with Boston College on a 3 1 season. It's like that's tough. That's and tough. then people are like, well, if you don't play, then you're a quitter. Man, I think that's just smart business. My AC. This is how I see. This is how I see. Thursday is like, like you know, the a main course meal. We're excited for that game. Friday is like a palate cleanser. Just a little AAC football. Like you can put it on while you're doing something else. It's date night. Yeah. Go on a date. Go uh, oh, hang out with okay. friends. Do whatever you do. Just, yeah, like watch it at the bar. Don't get don't get too crazy about it. But then hey. dial in for some Saturday. Yeah, and Saturday's gonna start at eleven a.m. Eastern because for some reason <laughs> they shove the Navy UCF kick at eleven a.m. Navy always gets early games. I feel like I don't know why. I don't understand it either. Uh, yeah. Games in Orlando. This is Senior Day for UCF or Senior Night, I should say. Even though it's nice. Yeah, I mean, Navy did beat UCF last year. I think that's something that we really have to remember uh, as we go into mm-hmm. talk about this game. That was at Navy. That was Mikey Keene's, I think, second start as a quarterback. Uh, it was a less talented UCF team with more injuries. Those are all factors. It looks like Navy is either down to a banged-up backup or a third-string quarterback at this point. Yeah. Um. Bounce house is incredibly hard to play at. It's going to be, I actually think the weather's going to be delightful, to be honest. Oh, that's nice. It's, we're looking at the 70s. Um, UCF is favored by 16 and a half. Yeah. This game might take two and a half hours with how much running there's going to be. I think that's a lot of points to give somebody, even though I know they just be too lame, but we saw how Navy did against Cincy and how difficult it is. So to assume yeah. that kind of margin is kind of messed up. No, Navy as a team. I love that. All the academies are as teams are designed to keep games close a lot of times. Yeah, the way they block, the way they run the ball, the way they can extend drives and keep on the field. Uh, So, no, I don't think it's necessarily. I mean, it's basically 
a three score game at that point, high two score, but who's going to be trying two point conversions like that? We'll call it three score. <laughs> um, We've so seen quite know. a few in the American I could, lately. I don't understand it. I could see this being a very frustrating game for UCF where mm-hmm. it's like 27 to 20 and you're just like, man, why couldn't you pull away? I could see it being a blowout where it's like 55 to 10 too. You know? I don't think I see a blowout. I think it's, I, I, I mean, if they win by two points, then I'm like, or I'm sorry, by two scores, then yeah, I understand it. But I just feel like it's going to be a little more difficult than that. I don't know. Probably a little bit more difficult. But I'm still I, picking UCF, obviously, but I yeah. feel like Navy's going to come in and just cause some chaos. I think full strength Navy would be very interesting. I agree. But this I, this version of Navy, maybe not so much. Yeah, Navy. I mean, for UCF, the big thing here is do two things. Win the game and come out of it without injuries to your front seven. Because those are always the rules for playing Navy. Yeah. Win, don't get too injured. Uh, <laughs> it should be fun. I think that this is going to be a good Last time UCF plays Navy for a while. So you got to think about it like that. A little bit yeah. Fun. A little bit of a blessing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, anyway, so we're both on UCF, though. Yep. Talent wins. Are we all pick, have we pick, we picked the same Tulane Tulsa UCF. Huh? We're on the home teams through the first all three right. games. There we uh, go. And let me tell you what I think we're on the home teams through the next two as well. Knowing us, uh, I don't yeah. think we're gonna, I don't think we're going to have a separate pick this week. Looking at the board, at the yes, <laughs> probably uh, not. <laughs> Uh, Houston at ECU. Houston coming off a thriller at home against Temple. You have to travel to Rowdy Dowdy and play an ECU team coming off a, a frustrating loss, a thriller in its own right, though, to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily, what's your big thing for this game? Anything to check out? You know what I was interested in about is the game time being announced finally, 2 p.m. Eastern. That game time was held on a six-day holding pending the results of the other games. Um, that's got to be a little frustrating as far as preparation yeah. goes. For fans, at the point. Well, that too, but I mean, yes, it's frustrating. But I thought that was kind of interesting that that, that happened to this game. And now we're getting a middle-of-the-day kick, which I don't love for, for ECU I because I think – I hate those off-hour games. I think a nighttime game would fare better for the ECU fan base. Obviously, um, we don't call it Rowdy Dowdy for nothing. But that being said, I am obviously going to pick ECU in this game. We have two six and four teams. ECU is favored by six points. I am nervous that it will come down to a field goal. Obviously, special teams are a big concern for ECU. Hoping that gets worked out a little bit this week. Um, but they are one win away from matching last year's win total of seven and two of breaking it. So they do have a lot on the line. Whereas Houston did have a lot in the beginning. Now, I just think getting through the season will be a success for them. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... Yeah. ECU is the better coach team. ECU is the more disciplined team. ECU maybe doesn't have as much talent as Houston, but is using their talented players, I think, more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's at home. I think as long as the Pirates play a clean game, I agree with you that they're going to win. I think it's going to be fun watching Toon and and Ehlers duke it out for, you know, rushing yard. Like, both of them, great on their feet. Very, very. can sling it. Both of them, yeah. Yeah, so... 
100%. Watch it if you like offense because Houston's defense won't bring anything. And, and ECU tries. They do a good job, I think, defensively. But I still think uh, the tune's going to put up points on them. So they'll be – I think it'll be exciting. I wonder what the, the total is. I didn't see, but um, I bet it goes over. Yeah. Uh, moving on. North Alabama at Memphis. How much time do we want to spend? 30 seconds? I don't know. What is this scheduling? Do we get it? Do we get a read on on why Alabama nonsense? This is some we think we're in the SEC scheduling model. Of does adding, this hurt or help Silverfield? I think is it the question. Nothing. I think it does Just, nothing because I think fans aren't dumb. I think they know you beating an FCS school to get your six and one. Yeah, bowl eligibility is good. I think anyone who knows the mm-hmm. sport at all can look at the wins and be like, okay, so you had a super easy schedule this year and you did the bare minimum mm-hmm. and. Beating North Alabama is the bare minimum. And, you know, sure, that's bull eligibility and good for you. Uh, I don't know that Silverfield's getting fired. I just don't think he's doing good enough there to keep his job long term. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. You're, you're looking at a town, too, that just I don't know if you saw this today, but the USFL announced that they're going to be moving the Tampa Bay team to Memphis. And they're now called the Memphis Showstopper or. Uh, Shoot, I can't. It was a very interesting name. I need to find this now. But so Memphis is going to be adapting a new football team into um, into the fold. And what does that do for keeping attention on Memphis football and keeping fans there? I mean, maybe not a huge effect, but enough where I was like, okay, this something probably to keep a keep an eye on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, I got to think of the name of this team because it was, oh, there we go. Ready? The Memphis Showboats. We love that for them, the Showboats. And they'll be playing at Liberty Stadium. So, kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Our last, we're both on Memphis. Well, yeah, I pick Memphis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Final game is Cincinnati at Temple. I'm going to tune into this one. I think it'll be an interesting game. I think that Temple is much improved. I think Cincinnati mm-hmm. is still worlds better than them, even though we were just pretty critical of Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm always critical of Cincinnati, but it's because we expect a lot from them. It's like, I don't know. That, they did exactly that to it. themselves. What do they want? Well, I think they want you to tell them that they're great and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, so Cincinnati at Temple, they should win it pretty easy. Their defense should shut down a Temple offense that for every game except the last two this season has been abysmal. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they were good against USF and Houston, though. Looking at what those defenses have been this season, who knows if that actually means anything. Uh, Cincinnati, your offense needs to get right. You need to find a way to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Bryant needs to find a way to be a consistent downfield passer. If you struggle with those things to any extent in this game, I will still refuse to take you seriously as a conference champion, like contender. You know what I mean? Like, because when they played UCF, yeah. the house, if UCF hadn't stabbed themselves in the foot a couple of times, it's a three score game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just, and I know the ifs, ands, and buts, but like, you know what I mean? Right. Like I just if you watch that game as a UCF fan, you're pretty confident playing them again. Cincinnati's favorite by 17 in this yeah, game. That's fair. I mean if I'm if I'm EJ Warner, I am probably not sleeping and thinking about Ivan Pace Jr. all week. 
Because that's gonna he like that's gonna be something of nightmares gonna, watching Pace Jr. go after him. Absolutely. Uh yeah, for me it really is just this the talent differential in this game. Sometimes it's just enough for me to be like, I like a, everything that Temple's done this year. There's things about Cincinnati that frustrate me this year, but let's honestly be realistic about it. Cincinnati's still a top twenty-five team in all reality. If you, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at, compare them to any other team in that, like in the 20 to 30 range of teams, compare them to teams in that range. Okay. You can find give you, that. All of them. you know what I mean? Of course. Of course. They're still in that range to me. I mean, if you want to put them at 27 instead of 24, I don't, in the college football playoff rankings, by the way, just dropped as we were talking. So I'm going to, yes, this, this I'm going to bring them over to your attention. Okay. Well, the last thing I'm going to say about this game um, is obviously I'm picking um, Cincinnati, but in my heart, I want to pick Temple and I want to make a prediction here. I think Leighton Jordan picks off Bryant in this game. I think he gets an interception. I'll give it to you. I'm also on Cincinnati. I think they probably cover that spread too. Like, again, I'm trying not to be too harsh on them, but like, I just expect them to be better than they have been is all. Yeah, that's Especially fair. when you look at, say, Arkansas nowadays is not looking like they're all that good of a team in reality. And, you know, you got to be pretty soundly by them. Uh, so stuff like that is, I guess, lingering with me about Cincinnati. Uh, anyways, college football playoff rankings just dropped. And we've got three AAC teams in the top 25. Uh, Cincinnati, nice. Cincinnati is coming in at number 25 right now. Tulane's at 21. And UCF is at 20. Uh I don't agree with UCF only being at 20. I do understand that the Louisville game is an issue. Uh, I understand that the ECU game is an issue. I understand that those were, they don't go away, mm-hmm. but man, I think this is, I hate to be like, Oh, it's the power five bias, but give me a break. Florida state's ahead of UCF right now. Yeah. Notre Dame's ahead of UCF right now. Notre Dame got their asses kicked by Marshall. They got their asses kicked by Stanford and frankly, very nearly just lost. Marshall is not panned out to be the team that oh, they look like in that Stanford's game. Stanford's panned out to be the team. Who? Stanford's panned out to be the team. Oh, no, 100% not. But I think Stanford might beat Marshall. Like I actually, and you know how I feel about Stanford, so. I mean, they've got NC State ahead of Cincinnati. We can nitpick the list forever if we really felt like it. But yeah. Give me a break because NC State just got their just lost to Boston College. Like, how are you going to let a team that lost to Boston College stay in the top 25? It's not like it's their first loss either. I don't understand the rankings. Oklahoma State's still ranked. I don't understand that. You know, I don't understand. I mean, I'm just looking at how why is Oregon 12 and Washington 17? They both have the same record in the same conference and one has a head-to-head win over the other. I don't get where these, I don't get the, how they do these rankings. Yeah, I think a lot of people are frustrated with the criteria. Well, the criteria, it's because it's not in the script. They say, well, we have our things that That's we That's what I'm at. saying, like wanting to know what it is and, and what defines... Of one team over another because it doesn't seem to make sense all the time. Like, That's all I'm saying. Why is North Carolina 13, whereas Clemson's nine when they have the same record in the same conference with the same loss to Notre Dame? Because Dabo. Well, that's what I'm saying, though, is so much of this is just based on past reputation and that's it. It's just like, well, be, well I remember them being good. Like, how's Alabama number eight still? How? They've got one good win and it's against Ole Miss, and Ole Miss is only as good a win as you're willing to credit old Miss for being this season, which is fine. They're good. I mean, they've got a 
great offensive-minded head coach who you don't have to like him as a person, but he's a great offensive mind. They've got a pretty bad defensive mind in terms of like the way they do things. They're never that good at it. I don't know. I'm just, again, I could complain about the rankings forever. I try not to because ultimately it is a TV show for entertainment. It'll work itself out. The AAC is the only G5 conference with any teams ranked, so it's pretty clear at this point that conference champion in the G uh, from the American is going to the New Year Six, which will be the Cotton Bowl this year. So it is what mm-hmm. it is. Until the final rankings yeah. in a TV show that they want you to pay attention to. Yeah, exactly. And we didn't because we were recording a podcast for you guys. Well, you know what? It. I'm going to give you my what. I'm going to give you my what made me laugh today. Okay. Somebody mentioning Gary Patterson for the Nebraska job. I'm hearing Matt Rule for the Nebraska job, but that's just me. <laughs> that's uh, no, I and that sounds more correct. Like this person should like this made me laugh. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like a while to see if it happens to it. I'm just like everybody, and I'm surprised we haven't heard Mora yet because Mora is the king of turning down jobs he's never been offered. And I'm just like, people start talking about him. And so I heard that GP one and I was like, some of these guys have agents who just like to put their name out for everything and see if it gets them around. It's great. I mean, why do you think Mel Tucker's making the money he's making? Because his name got floated for LSU. I, I, okay. But because his name got floated for LSU. So Michigan state knee jerked and paid him a hundred million dollars. And this is what you get when you pay a coach a hundred million dollars after one good season. Could have told you. I could have told them that, but they don't want to listen. That's fine. We I, should be in charge, and that's the end of the. Athletic directors are so dumb. Eli Drinkwitz just got sometimes into two million dollar raise for what? His contract was up for another three years. I like Eli Drinkwitz as a coach. I you know, that's winning. Yeah, that's. I know. I I, I don't. That's Missouri's just crazy. That's not like a knock on him. You know right, I mean? it is hard, but he, and I think he's a good coach. But yes, that's a little that's a little much. And yeah. again, you don't need to give him an extension and a raise when no one's trying to hire him away from you. <laughs> well, maybe his agents leaking things internally there. Who knows? That's the thing is we don't really ever know what's going on behind doors. We just AD. like to speculate wildly. Ads are just dumb, I think, as a rule. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. If you guys want to follow along on my social media, I am at MLNEM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. And mm-hmm. I've got nothing else. So with that, we're off. Yeah, so I think we're off this week. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.